Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Greetings, my magical friend. It is so great to be with you again. Thank you so much for coming on this episode and listening. We have an incredible episode for you today. The continuous installments of Indigenous Native American wisdom. We have this time an elder of the Zuni. Clifford Mahoudi. He is also an engineer. Uh, he worked in the government. His uh, his um, background and his experience is immense. He was the second speaker when we went to Sedona with uh, the Mi'kmaq elder David Lombear, who you just heard, and he met the Zuni elder, who is Clifford Mahoudi, who's coming up. And uh, he worked in the government. He's an engineer. He knows science. Like listening to the, these two guys talk in private was extraordinary. Um, in their teachings, they talk about the sky people and the star people and these technologies. And to listen to them talk about um, everything, like if you watch Gaia TV, Cosmic Disclosure. Uh, Corey Good, uh, David Wilcock, all that kind of stuff. Like these two elders know so much more than all of those people. And I've dive, I've dove down those rabbit holes. Stephen Greer, anybody like that. Like you would want to go to Clifford and you'd want to go to David to get the real knowledge. And they are starting to share this a little bit. So in this episode with Clifford, um, I told him, hey, I would love to have you on the podcast as much as you'd like. Just share with whatever you want. And so he really just gave a... a a good, clear description of the Zuni history because he basically watched how um, he's the last generation of, of having this Zuni um, wisdom. His grandfather was the historian of the Zuni and TV and uh, Catholicism and uh, alcohol basically in one or two generations destroyed 20,000 years of lineage. Now it's just Clifford. So it's, it's pretty sad. Um, it's pretty intense. And, um, you know, so he gives you the history and he talked more about how we just saw it happen and how he was the beginning part of it, of how he was saying that, you know, his elders would want to tell him stories, but he'd rather go play and watch TV. And so they started to kind of break away from tradition at the beginning of, of his existence when he was a kid. So in this episode, um, we've entitled it... Uh, uh, Zuni history, sacred sites, and sky people. But he talks about uh, working with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, working with the Star Children to uh, share a message. Television was the first deviation of um, from spiritual technology, where he says we did have technology, but spirituality and technology were merged. Um, how religion was used for fear and control, the Catholic influence on the native tribes, um, how the Smithsonian did damage to native sacred sites, which I didn't know. Uh, UFOs and Bigfoot. Uh, 
uh, what is a finished man? What happens when you die? What are the Kachinas? Uh, cosmic magic. So he gives you an uh, epic history lesson. I, I, I broke this down into parts. It's a great episode, and I really hope that Clifford's going to come on more episodes, and we are looking to bring David and Clifford to speak around the world because, uh, like I said, David's only been sharing this for the last five years, and Clifford's been sharing, but he says, I've only been sharing a fraction of what I know. And so this is the beginning of them sharing their 20,000-year history, so it's truly special and unique. Uh, I want to thank everybody who has been supporting the podcast the best way to do so is to do an act of kindness today if not three acts of kindness a day go out of your way and don't tell anybody you can let somebody in a traffic you can get somebody's name it's an act of kindness you can listen you can pick up a piece of trash go out of your way that's the best way you can support the podcast um, if you want to take an action to share this episode to talk about the podcast to leave a review in iTunes please take a moment if you like the show to do that because it inspires others to listen it boosts it in the ranking and it, get, uh, it helps get the word out there so please do that and thank you so much for those of you guys who've been chipping a buck in the bucket on patreon um ross and gullick thank you so much for taking a moment to give me a, a couple bucks of your hard-earned money i really do appreciate that and even just a small percentage of the audience enjoys the show and wants to support the continuous creation of this just even a small amount really goes a massively long way um so thank you guys so much for doing that um david lone bear is doing a seven-part webinar series uh, you can check that out at Matt Belair Official every Thursday at 8 p.m. EST. we got one coming up tonight, so check those out. And um, if you want to support the show as well, um, check out David because I'm basically vouching on his behalf of my own free will and the platform that I built through the podcast to say, hey, do you like the podcast? Just go support him. And we're looking for angel investors, um, looking for tech help, looking for web people, looking for administrative assistant, because uh, David basically is doing this, but having to work really hard to pay rent. Um, he teaches all the time. He works extraordinarily hard, and we just need a little bit of funding to get the tools we need for the science. Check out the Biodome. Check out Project Bright Star, sending balloons into space. We want to put more balloons into space. And he talks a little bit coming up about a, a powerful free energy technology. He says it's not free because you need to build it, but it harnesses the wind. And this is, again, technology from the ancient Copper Scrolls. And in private, the Zuni Elder and David, they talked about some of these technologies, but David has the schematics and the engineering. So we just need a little bit of time to get... Uh, to do the research, to get the materials we need, and to start building some of this stuff. But basic, basically, David is just, you know, barely getting by and paying rent. It's pretty friggin' ridiculous. So I'm doing all my best to just call out any benevolent angel investor out there, somebody who wants to dive a little bit deeper and look at what we're doing and look at what David and Clifford are starting to share. We would definitely love your support. We also want to get them speaking around the world about this ancient knowledge because it does, um, it brings technology, but it's a, also how to build community, which I think is super important it's a very grounded practical and beautiful message so any support we would appreciate that just go to matt at zenathlete.com and we would appreciate anybody reaching out um, for those of you guys who want some coaching uh, I'm doing 90-minute sessions of basically either uh, everything that I know in consciousness, spirituality, neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, and also doing 90-minute uh, um, heart journey 
situations or sessions where essentially we hypnotize you into your heart to overcome limiting beliefs and get aligned for your purpose, you know, to see clearly within your heart with no fear. And uh, people are having very profound and powerful experiences. So we can do that. And also, you know, one-on-ones as well as groups, organizations, uh, entrepreneurs leveling up, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's peak performance, consciousness, the law of attraction, um, tools for all of that, but the ones that actually work. So that way you can navigate to your goal that comes from your heart. So it's very clear. So once you get there, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I got here. I'm excited. Not I get here and oh crap, I didn't even want this. I still feel unfulfilled. Um, so that's the first and most important part that people gloss over and forget then how to get there quickly and easily and doing it from a state of fulfillment. So all the best tools and consciousness, spirituality, uh, and everything I've learned in that sense. So I think that's about it. Um, go to mattbelair.com to sign up for the email list and, uh, just so much love and appreciation for you. Uh, if you want a free lucid dreaming audio and ebook, just go forward slash lucid dreaming. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. This is part one of two with Clifford Mahoudi because it's long. He shares a lot of knowledge. Um, these people, these elders really do deserve our respect. They do deserve to have this information out there because it's unlike anything that's being put out there right now and personal development, technology, uh, UFO, ufology, or however you say that. Um, these guys really do know and they're starting to share. So uh, this is really a privilege and offer, honor to have Clifford and David on the show and uh, helping them get their word out because it's beyond anything I've ever seen and I'm always looking for it. So thank you guys for coming on this episode. Let's just get into a state of uh, peace and coherence. So wherever you are, just stop and taking a deep breath in through your nose, setting your intention to come to total peace and coherence and presence now, letting go of all the cares and all the worries of the day. Letting that breath out slowly. Now taking another deep breath in through your nose, holding that breath and just filling yourself up with love, with peace, with gratitude, with kindness. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares, all the tasks, all the self-criticisms. Taking in one more deep breath in through the nose, holding that breath and now just sending out all of your love, energy, peace, support, kindness and gratitude to everybody you've ever met to all beings on the planet. And I'm sending you all of my love, my support, my energy, my encouragement for you to have a whole beautiful, harmonious day and life experience and wish you nothing but the best and just receive that energy and just send it out today with three acts of kindness to somebody that you haven't met, to anybody and just have that energy keep going forward and knowing that you're supported, that you are loved, that you are eternal and that you are awesome just as you are. So, okay. I think that's it. We're ready to get into part one with Zuni elder Clifford Mahuti. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mastermind, Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a Zuni Pueblo Indian elder and member of the tribal orders of the Kachina Priesthood. Galaxy Medicine Society, Sun Clan, and Wisdom Keeper of the Zuni History and Spiritual Practices. He is a retired civil environmental engineer and has worked for Shell Oil Company and various U.S. government programs for housing, planning, design, and construction of Indian reservation infrastructures and school projects. 
He also served in the U.S. Public Health Service as a commissioned officer to provide services to American Indian communities and as the National Environmental Justice Coordinator of the 561 federally recognized Indian tribes. He coordinated with various agencies of federal, state, and tribal governments to enforce laws and regulations to protect sacred sites and lands against against, um, desecration, pollution of natural resources, illegal taking of artifacts, burials, and sacred objects. Welcome to the show, Clifford Mahuti. Glad to be here. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Uh, we met a few years ago at Contact in the Desert, and I, and I looked at a little bit of what you work, uh, what you share. It's really mind-blowing. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit of background on who you are? And uh, I'll just let you take it from there because your knowledge is, is really deep, and I'm just so glad that we were finally able to make this happen. Well, basically what you talked about is, is my uh, bio. Uh, I started out as a, uh, in, in, uh, I was born and raised in Zuni, New Mexico. And I was, got involved with a lot of different uh, activities, even when I was a young boy. And uh, in those days, we had teachings from uh, very high uh, spiritual systems. And uh, when our tribe was still intact, with, without outside uh, interference to, to do our uh, rituals, to do our uh, ceremonies, and to, to be participating in various spiritual activities. One of the things that, that uh, we also had on the reservation was that we had a, the Bureau of Indian Affairs school system, and we, uh, my generation, uh, started out with a state public school system. So at a very young age, I got interested in mathematics, and which led me to, to my uh, career in, in engineering. On the other side of the same coin was the teachings of all the things that was very relative to our, our Pueblo uh, system, including the history, all the different uh, ways to participate in in our ceremonies and also to, to have respect for our, our land and how to take care of it. So it's a mass system that we have to go through. And when you're a kid like that, growing up on the Indian reservation, you, it's just a constant thing. And it was not hard because it's a daily activity. I was born when there was no electricity, no running water, no, uh, no uh, systems that uh, were transportation. We didn't have any uh, cars in those days. So I grew up in the uh, wagon and horse horses type transportation. And later on, it's right after World War or during World War II is when I was born. So after that, I saw the whole development since I was five years old, even to, to the day that Sputnik, Sputnik, and then be, between those times that we were taught uh, the uh, Western uh, world education, mathematics, history, uh, the basic things that uh, used to be in those days. 
after Sputnik is when I really got interested in the sciences and uh, in the mathematics. We had a very good education system, especially at junior and high school level, uh, that geared us toward the technology and, and the sciences and, and also the other social science systems. So I had a very good education, but also on the other side, our education is like, it was the total village that taught us. We are basically an agricultural-based community. So we learn, uh, learn how to plant. Some, some of our tribal members also had uh, cattle and uh, herds of sheep. So they also had, uh, they also know how to utilize the land in a balanced way. So I saw everything that uh, is very basic to the ecosystem. And uh, of course, uh, water is very important to where we came from, or at least where I was born. So from the beginning, I saw this firsthand, firsthand information given to me by my parents, my grandparents, and also the extended community. The community was, you know that some woman wrote a book called It Takes a Village. And so that's what, that's what we, we took uh, our societies based on that. If you did something on one side of the village or out in the field, by the time you got home, they, they already knew about what you did. So this is, we also had the Moccasin Network. They work uh, more efficiently than the modern day electronic gadgetry. So, uh, so we were a closed system. Uh, we, uh, it's also a metro, our form, metro lineal society. So all the, the women hold all the power. We're just, uh, we're just a practicing male human beings in our society. So anyway, this is basically what, what uh, my childhood was. And uh, when, when you talk about the Kachina, all the young, young uh, men in the village or initiated into the Kachina Society. There's many different other orders, such as the medicine societies and uh, the clan systems and very, very specialized groups that take care of the, the balance on the spiritual part. I do not know that, that their backgrounds or their, their details, so I don't attempt to talk about those things, but I knew, know they exist. And then, of course, the clan system is one of the most uh, basic ones, which is sort of uh, related to the other Pueblo people, including our brothers and sisters to the south. Uh, our people also are very familiar with our uh, people in Mexico, what is now present Mexico. And we also have the same information about our creation but with many variances due to the location. So I've been doing this for some time. I first got into, uh, oh, I, uh, before, before I got into uh, talking about these things, I used to be a, like, used, like my bio reads, I used to work in uh, many different organizations uh, in the private sector, in uh, many, uh, many uh, programs under the federal government. And, and also, in the state governmental systems and, and the tribal organizations. 
so I've seen a whole lot of things uh, from about the 60s on as a working member in these different uh, trades uh, and professions. I, when you talk about these government programs, I was, I was the uh, director of the Indian Housing Program in the 70s for the, for the Southwest Indian Tribe. Prior to that, I would work for Shell Oil Company as a refinery engineer. So I saw what the, the chemical and the, the damage that is caused by not only the, the land and the, the water, but also the, uh, the air damage that a lot of these refiners do. And this is firsthand. And having done a lot of uh, other programs, I used to run a national office of for Indian schools all over the country, including Alaska. So I saw the environmental changes during my tenure up in Alaska, especially those natives up there. And for the last 15 years, before I retired 10 years ago, I was what they call the environmental justice coordinator for all those tribes you mentioned. 561 different tribes, all both coasts, clear up to Alaska, and of course, out here in the Southwest. So with that background, I saw firsthand what has happened to this country. And of course, most of all, what has happened to the people. The people at this time are out of balance, just like people are out of, I mean, the nature is also out of balance. One of the last things that I worked on was the, uh, casinos and the American Indian Reservation casinos throughout the country. And because it because that was a because you have to have an environmental assessment and in a lot of cases you gotta have an environmental impact statement. That was my duty to go and be the first person with an engineering and environmental background to be the support and the help for all Indian tribes in that capacity. One of the things that I found out later on after I retired was that uh, XL pipeline up in, in the Standing Rock, uh, South, South Dakota. I was uh, willing to go up there and lend my expertise, even though I was retired already. But the reason that a lot of things happened in that area was basic two things. First of all, is the Bureau of Indian Affairs or the caretaker of all the land of what they call trust land. They failed on their project. And the second one was that the Indian chiefs were, were provided letters, which is a formality for when any project is to be done, whether it be a highway, whether it be a housing project, or in this extreme case, it was a it was the oil pipeline. So these are the things that this the human element that causes a lot of these damages to occur. So when I saw what happened, I immediately I just immediately said that it's not gonna do me any good to go in there because they did not do the preliminary work. So this is this is why it's very important when I talk about education and to the Indian communities that we have to learn how to find out what 
everybody's trying to do to our land and also to the people. I saw a lot of these things when I was working, so this is this is what I mean by first-hand knowledge and experience. And our people have got to learn how to take into consideration. When I say our people, I'm talking about the 95 or percent of the people which they do not have any representation on in their reservations. Uh, most of our tribal leaderships are following the same pattern as the United States government. It's, it's based upon that setup. And they have this favorite term called a one-on-one uh, -on -one relationship, government-to-government -government relationship. For example, in one of the, you take in the reservation, the only person that will be talked to is the tribal chief, the tribal governor, the tribal chairman, and it's the Bureau of Indian Affairs that has that responsibility. All other federal agencies do not have an open door with them. They have to channel everything through the Bureau of Indian Affairs, so that's one person. In my opinion, the Bureau of Indian Affairs have failed the Indian people for centuries and it's still going on. That's another factor. The government is not helping the American Indians to take care of their land and their people. So I had I used to talk about these things, but I, I believe that they had they had been scared because if you speak if you spoke up if you're a tribal member and spoke up on an Indian reservation, that your home is there, this is why you're held captive, so to speak. So these are the things that are very important to, for the audience, your audience and your people to know. And also the, the, the things that I hear about everywhere is that now that the Indians have casinos, they can be the richest people in the United States. That is an absolute untruth. That is a big lie, and whoever is doing that has never even looked at some of the, the details of the, the compacts that they go into. Of course, the casino owners make the, the hefty part of the money. The state gets it some some money in the percentage, and, and the, uh, the federal government is the one that's supposed to negotiate and a lot of your tribal members, when the, when the money goes into the tribal members, maybe some of them are fair distribution, but most of them, you have, they have to find out what is the real amount. And that's where, that's where the problem lies. Most tribes don't know how much money is generated by their casinos. And to, in my opinion, they're only given tiddling to the tribal members. So these are the things in that affect two things. First of all is the people. The people, it affects their, their well-being and also the environment. So if you look at uh, one of the things that I mentioned about is that Indian reservations haven't conquered alcoholism, domestic violence, drugs, other uh, other forms of 
uh, poverty. And now we introduce gambling. And that is, that is you're doing it. You're wasting your money in, in a way that you're not drunk. So this, this is an, an addition to the, the, the things that are bad that's going on on the reservation. And of course, the money that is generated on there, you never see any accounting of it. Even if there is an accounting, it's just like the rest of the United States of America. They hold it like a secret and nothing is transparent. And it's, a, it's, just, going, it's just a big dog, uh, a big dog being the, the federal government, the little dog being the reservation. They work exactly alike and they're in tandem and they, because of the way that the government set up the tribal uh, governments. So people have to become educated. And this is what I have been trying to do for, with a lot of different groups. There's some groups that are coming in, especially with the Star Children that's already here. And there's a lot of groups that I work with just to convey this message. However, when I when I participate in some of these activities, we're still in the powwow mode. We do not have the direct in information transfer because we're still acting like Hollywood Indians. It's time to quit that and actually go into some very, very uh, truthful approach to what our problems are. And this is why I made up my my mind that I will be a messenger. So I have been criticized. I have been ostracized by my own tribe. But it doesn't make any difference to me because that's what I that's what I made my life to be when I was a young boy. So it 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 falls in the spiritual and religious category of we are we make ourselves to be certain people to carry on this message. I am not an expert in anything, nor do I claim to be a, a healer or, or any of these special power people. All I'm doing is that I'm giving back and the information that I learned, not only from my tribal elders and academia through the spiritual networking so it's uh, it's quite a task but I really enjoy doing it just like I enjoy doing uh, engineering projects wow Clifford well thanks for sharing all that and um, you know when I hear you speak and we've had a few conversations very similar uh, to my friend who you've you're recently meeting David Lombear Senapas who is an elder of the Mi'kmaq uh, nation and people and a lot of your history and a lot of how you acquired your knowledge is very similar. And so maybe, you know, I know there's a lot that you can talk about. There's, you know, there's prophecies and hieroglyphs and education and things like that. One of the things that you mentioned I think is important is firsthand knowledge. So maybe you can share a little bit about how you were taught, where your knowledge came from and some of that knowledge, because when we're speaking and I'm speaking with David, I'm a little bit more open-minded than some people, um, maybe less than others, but those stories are very different than my upbringing, 
you're very, very different, you know, and there, and, and there's a lot more, and this isn't something that's normal to a different way, a Western society. These are new concepts, but this, this was your upbringing. This was your reality. And, and one of the talks I saw you give, you might be the last one that got the, you're saying in, in the Zunis, maybe the last one who learned this way that you had the oral teachings passed down and you went through that process. Is that, is that true? Maybe you can speak on that. Well, I think in one of those sessions, I talk about, I may be the, the last of the Mohicans, so to speak, of the Zuni uh, system. There is, well, there was a time, I believe it might have happened, uh, right after Kennedy was shot in 1962. Because I started seeing this, the overall uh, <clears throat> nation going down, sliding off into the direction. Prior to that time, again, before we had these technological things that were, uh, became a deviation. Television, if you want to look at it from the sociological, psychological part of a civilization, television was the first thing that deviated my community from the spiritual practices which were going on 24 hours a day. When television was, there was introduced in Zuni, there was only two, two TV sets in the whole village in about 1960, I would say. And uh, one of them was my, my aunt, my, uh, my maternal aunt, or paternal aunt, had one of those TVs. And the other one was at another place. And uh, the third one was at a post office, the postmaster had that, but there was not, we were not allowed to see that. So television was the worst thing that ever happened, in hindsight now, of what people started getting away from the tension that we grew up in. Because at that time, people used to talk. They used to talk to each other. We had extended families. And of course, at that time, it was a farming community. We had all kinds of water. And then we also had social uh, dances that occurred periodically. And that uh, made the community interact socially and also in a religious, spiritual way. Uh, religion and spirituality, I will say, are two separate things. But the, the, the definition in, in the religion in our tribe is not, is not man-made like uh, other religions. And I say religion is, serves only two purposes. First of all, it's a religion is for fear and control. And so that we were, we were introduced, or at least we were, the Spanish came in 1540, 1539. So we were the first tribe in, in this part of the world to be uh, exposed to the Spanish of the uh, God, golden glory. And one of the things that they brought with them was greed. So if you look at religion, that's where actually the religion actually started coming in, which was basically to for fear and control. So this ha happened 
with the, the Southwest Indian tribes, but there's only two tribes that really ne never fell for 100%, which was the Zuni and the Hopi. The rest of the other tribes were conquered and they automatically switched over to to become the religious groups of the Catholic Church in this case. So this is where also it started, they started incorporating based upon the history books that I've uh, reviewed and researched. And they actually became incorporated into our spirituality, which was perhaps the wrong move, but then again, they had bigger weapons, they had bigger armies. And so this is where they started uh, becoming in step with it, primarily for survival. So now, you, Fast forward a little bit, and then the then the federal government got involved. We started having our attacks, or or rather, right before then was the invasion of the Navajo, what they call the Diné from the north. This I understand is the the uh, descendants of the Mon Mongolian people up in um, Mongol that the white man says that. They came through the um, the uh, ice polar cap, Beringia, the Bering Strait. So that was another uh, effect on it, but it didn't have a, a big effect on it. As, but as on the social side, by the time they came over here or showed up, uh, places like Chaco Canyon were already abandoned. Mesa Verde up in Colorado, Canyon de Chile in Arizona were abandoned. So they had survived and then the army started coming in in the 1800s. The army was the first one that, the United States Army was the first one that built school out in the West and the first one was in Zuni. Uh, they had the, they even treated them like the kids, like military, uh, military uh, training, what do you call it? Uh, they, they did the military routines with them. They had, they had to march, they had to get up in the morning, have revel and all that, and up to about 1930s. And, and one of the biggest things that happened was, that, well, in 1889, remember when they had the, the India Removal Act was passed by Congress, and that's when they started getting rid of the Indians from all parts of their native lands and, and sent places like Oklahoma, in other places, the Trail of Tears and so on. But in, in the case of Zuni, they, uh, they put up with it. And as time went on, the military started moving in because of certain things, uh, practices of self-discipline of the Zuni people. The biggest thing that happened in the 1800s was that the Zunis had a self-controlling system of, of people that were not in, in step with the sociological religious system. And when they started taking on the self-discipline, the army showed up to protect those that people that had violated many different uh, rules of society. So that also became a factor in losing their con connection and uh, move forward and, and then right after that is the Smithsonian 
the Smithsonian Institution did a lot of damage in terms of sacred sites, the uh, paraphernalia that we use for um, medical curing practices, even some of the the hardware, not hardware, but say like they used to have altars and uh, prehistoric prehistoric uh, things that use in part of the as part of the rituals for curing and also for weather control. So and also to uh, uh, food sources. So they uh, the Smithsonian did a lot of damage by taking away those things to put it in their museum. And later on is the Indian Reorganization Act in the 20s, when they started coming in and taking away land for because a lot of people were overgrazing, which is up in Navajo country. And uh, so, and after it went on, and of course, we were still not citizens of the uh, United States of America. And when the World War One and World War Two started, the Zuni people even went to war for it. And they're not even part of the United States of America. So these are the things that, when I talk about education, our people have to go back and find out why they're treated the same, treated the way we are today, and what rights do they have? And what caused it, and it, and even part of our people was part of it. When I talk about stealing of our artifacts in the religious system, there's many books that have been written about it, that the, it's, everything is done as an inside job. I don't care if it's 9-11, I don't care if it's a bank robbery. They just had a, uh, while we're talking, they just had a, uh, a shootout here at one of the, the casinos over in Arizona at Mazatzo, uh, you know, I believe. And the first thing that I said was it was an inside job. So this, there's a lot of things that occurred on the Zuni and they blamed each other for many, many years. Fast forward to 1963 when Kennedy was shot. That's where a lot of things changed overnight. I was talking about television. And this is where the Office of Economic Opportunity created by John, uh, Kennedy, carried out by Johnson, came into play. I was part of that community organizer group, so to speak. And I worked on those projects in the Zuni reservation. And eventually starting from that, well, we had a welfare program, but it was, it was for very few programs. But what they call a community action program introduced a lot of uh, projects that had a lot of money to it. And this is where a lot of people didn't start losing their practice because it was easier to get money working in the village, getting the paycheck every two weeks or whatever. And then they just sort of start setting their religious and spiritual activities aside and uh, not continue to practice periodically what was supposed to be be happening. 
So influence from external forces on an Indian reservation has caused a lot of hardships. And uh, even to this day, and then it, it was good up to a point, and then about, yeah, I worked on the, what they call the, which is now public law in 93638 in 1966, which later became law. It's called the Indian Self-Determination and Education Act. When we, when I first worked on it, I was 20, about 22 years old. And uh, we wrote the backbone for it in the Zuni Council and eventually became law under Nixon in 1974. This is the, the law that allows the Indian tribes to take the programs from the Bureau of Indian Affairs and have them, the Indians run the programs themselves, whether it's an education program, whether it's a, a road construction program, building construction, and eventually HUD and Indian Health Service under what is presently now HHS. So now that law became into effect on the Indian Reservation. Again, it's a great law, but it's just like the United States Congress. They have the wrong people running the show. And this is, it was a very, very good idea it was an extremely brilliant idea to get rid of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, but now the Bureau of Indian Affairs is right on top of that, more so than ever. And this is where a lot of Indians, again, have to go back and get educated, not only for their own execution of those programs directly from the federal government, but also to find out what the what the projects are supposed to, to, to be for. I mean, they have, uh, if you look at two basic things, casinos, for example, one of the requirements when I worked on those projects was that casinos were supposed to be run by the Indians. You can go to any casino in the United States of America. If you walk up there and look at their management structure, there is not one Indian running the management. Yes, they have. They, yes, they hired Indians, but they're the, they're the ones that roll around the carts to make change. They're the ones that are behind the booth to take care of membership, and they're they're the ones that work in the kitchens. And a lot of them are just janitors. So this is what what the government, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, had caused as their spokesperson to make the Indian tribes look, make, still make them look like they don't know what they're doing because they're uneducated. This is again the reason, one of the other reasons that I come out to talk about things that are not right according to the law. And if they're not gonna comply with the law, there has to be some group that has to come in there and verify that these things are, are, are taken care of. And that's where the Indian people should be as that controlling and governing board. Even though the boards are up there, they're also, it's, uh, we have what they call nepotism on Indian reservation. It's the elite, just like, just like the federal government and the United States Congress.
Only the elite are the ones that make money, regardless of what they know or don't know. And most of those people are uneducated, again, just like the United States Congress. I am not afraid to say these things because I worked in the swamp for 20 years, and I worked with all federal agencies, had to deal with them on a daily basis. And not only the agencies themselves, but also the politicians that ran those, that ran the government. I think a good example is uh, what, when I told Dave uh, Lomber about was I was up in the, uh, Maine, I was working on the Lauren Air Base transfer to the Indian tribe. And what was sad about that case was they were gonna give the most polluted land on the, on the military base to the Mi'kmaq Indians. And I fought my own people in the Department of Interior and I could not get them to understand the simple things about the law because all they were, they were controlled by the two politicians of that state and they were looking at that prime piece of property for their own personal use. For example, they wanted the golf course to be transferred to the, one of the senators and leave the, where they used to have the uh, petroleum dump, dump site where they had all the petroleum products. It would take at least a billion dollars to clean out the, the, uh, the uh, polluted land and that was a portion that they were gonna give the Mi'kmaq tribe. So these are the things that are happening every day. So that's why I stress education. We have so many programs in education. For example, I, you, you mentioned that I was the United States Public Health Service. The, when I got into that, I found out that they have what they call a co-step program. You can actually start out with public health service and they pay for your education, whether you wanna be a nurse, an engineer, a surgeon, or dentist, and they pay for your whole education. All you do is you come back and you commit yourself two years for everyone, let's see, yeah, two years for every year that they finance you. And you also get a commission as a commission officer. So these are the programs that are out there, but so when I, ask, when I used to travel and I tell them about this, they never tell them about these different programs. When I was going through college, we also had a co-op program in the State Highway Department and NASA at that time. And right now with the present administration going on there, now they're opening up the doors for that, that type of uh, working apprenticeship programs, uh, even not only in the trades, but also in the, the intern programs in the other professions, whether it be law, engineering, or medicine. So these people have, the American Indian community has so much opportunity once they get rid of two basic things. First of all, the Bureau of Indian Affairs to get them out of the way. And the second thing is to get educated and hire or, or rather vote for the, the best available individual of the tribe. That's gonna be a hard one because I tried that with my community and I, and I did not get elected. So that's, that's really a sad, sad situation. 
Holy smokes. I think that's in what you shared there was just a brief sample of, you know, your history and knowledge and, and how deep it goes. And you kind of watched it step by step by step um, yes. from, from, you know, where it was before, wherever, wherever that was. Um, do you want to, so I'm going to let you keep talking and share and go wherever you want, because I know anything I tee up, you're able to go really deep. Do you want to share a little bit about what you were taught and some of the knowledge that you hold and, and share that with some of the people that might have it? Or do you want to give um, some more history on maybe some things that we don't know? No, I think that, I think one of the things that a lot of people ask me is that, where did you get all your knowledge? And uh, I, I said, I'm a very humble man. When you come right down to it, it's called homework. We all have to do our homework. And that's one thing that my mom and dad used to stress. And my elders is that you better work. You better learn. I don't care if you're going to be a farmer. I don't care if you're going to be a medicine man. I don't care if you're going to be a kachina leader. You have to learn not only the history, but also the prayers. One thing that my tribe has is that we don't have a written history. Everything is oral, oral history. You can go back to Zuni anything and attend those ceremonies. These people are very, very expert in saying the prayers, the chants, the songs. And that's because they, they've been repeating it for centuries and centuries. And uh, that's where the teaching, the basic teaching comes from. Not only do they teach you that the religious and the technological systems, but also how to be a human being. They, teach, they taught us about respect of everything. You do not go over there and hurt other people. You do not hurt other animals, whether it be an ant, a bug, and everything has life, whether it be a stone, whether it be a tree, whether it be a, another a animal, a four-legged animal, they all have lives, and you treat them like as if they were your own brothers and your own mothers and your own sisters. So that's the basic first basic thing that you're taught and uh, you are taught as a uh, in the beginning about many different things relative to uh, in your home which why why you have to sleep in a certain direction but what what you do when the, the sun comes up in the morning the prayers that you have to go through when you sit down to eat, you, you give thanks for the food and you have to provide uh, what we call cutting, cutting part of your meal and you give it to your ancestors. And as time goes on, when you start becoming in different societies and groups, you also give that, you feed them first is what they tell us. You feed the ancestors and the gods first before you eat. That alone in itself is, is the respect, respectful ways to be part of the world and also all the living things. 
So this can go on forever. But I don't know if they still do that in Zuni today. I go to a lot of ceremonies. You, that is still going on, but and I'm sure that they still have that in their own homes. So that's one way of looking at life in an overall universe. We never die. We only take we only take what is needed no more. And when I remember when my dad used to take us to the to get get wood or firewood, before we even chop any wood, he would he would uh, take us and he would he would ask the trees for their for their okay, I guess, and also to give them the blessing. We use cornmeal for blessing to bless the trees, and he said that when you bless. Those trees, you do not cut where you made your blessing. You go a different direction and away from that because you bless them. So these are the basic things that are taught. And then also, when you are a young person, you have to respect all your elders, all your parents. One of the things that I never did in my whole life is that I never call my mom or my dad by their first name or even my grandparents, I never called them by their first name. That's, a, that's what they taught you in, in, as part of respect. So that uh, we, uh, I don't know how much it goes on today. And it, I believe that it's not done anymore. I have a lot of people that come and talk to me but they don't teach them the history of what their position in life is. A lot of, a lot of them have been uh, the old timers and their parents have, have passed away. And that transfer was never made to take care of certain things as part of their rituals. They don't know how to pray anymore for their, for their group efforts or group requirements. So this is where a lot of our elders deviated from primarily because of other things that were not conducive to uh, carry, carrying these traditions on to the younger people. That's why the younger people are, are really in confused stage. And they try to teach them with uh, bilingual education, which is good, but there are many details that are sort of sacred knowledge type thing. So you only learn that in certain groups, certain activities. The language is there. All the Indian kids can speak the language. But when it comes down to that, there's a lot of prayer systems that include ancient names, ancient uh, language, which is very hard to decipher. I had, I, I had a difficult time myself. And I was taught. So can, can you imagine the kids nowadays and the, the teachers are no longer around. So what they teach is not cool anymore. They just do it on a sort of like a read, reader's digest version, which, which again is not effective when it comes to spirituality. In one, one of my orders, I asked a, my uh, 
my members of the society is how come we didn't have say say sing that uh, prayer or song and I was told because it was gonna take a it's gonna take a long time. I said, yeah, but we skipped a lot of things, especially with the new initiates that uh, they 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 did not get that information and they just kinda avoided me. So this is what goes on in a normal day anymore. They're too busy wanting to go I don't know what to, to make more, make money or, or whether just lazy. I do not know. So this is where we're losing that, that portion of that spirituality, also. So again, it's our own fault. No white man has come over here and said that you can't do that no more. We're the ones that are doing it for ourselves. Hmm. <clears throat> well. Uh, well, what I'm thinking is like I'm I'm kind of want to go two ways with it. The the first one is, is just curious about um, you know do you see a solution for getting this knowledge passed down because I see it as uh, sacred knowledge you know that that should be shared and maybe if you had any thoughts on how we can how you could or or anyone keep the information going and then second maybe sharing your view on um because i i know you're on gaia tv and there's a lot of um let's just say stuff about dimensions aliens star people sky people angels demons and you can go down huge rabbit holes and in that field of which those rabbit holes i have personally gone down they're very fascinating. You've got Antarctica. You've got all kinds of stuff, but you kind of stand apart a little bit in the same way that uh, David Lombert Senapas does in a very congruent teaching, a very firsthand teaching, a very firsthand knowledge that's a little bit different, and it seems to be able to cut through you know, what could be partial truth or exaggerated truth with a different understanding. And maybe you could share... Um, just some of your teachings or thoughts on on how you were taught about beings, star beings, you know, even even like angel realms, which are the kachinas, um, and and give your perspective on that. Well, that's kind of hard to relate, especially when uh, the with the communication network that we have. I mean, anybody in my village can look into any any uh things that I have done and the first thing they'll they'll say is that well that guy's a liar well that guy is, is talking about things that are sacred and I've been accused of being an evil person. So it's very difficult to put anything on the air. The way I do it is that I do it on <clears throat> places where there's no recordings made because I think it's very important that in the combination of the two, first of all is the spirituality part of it and also the technological part and again going into those rabbit holes. There's a lot of things that are are there that they look at it in a very negative way, especially when it's the information. And one of the things that I learned, especially with these trying to figure out why they're against me is the jealousy factor. Because they, do, they themselves do not know the origin, 
or where these things, what these things are about. So when I talk about it, the immediate thing is that this guy's a liar. So that I had to deal with that. One of the things that uh, we did was that uh, in uh, the eclipse last year with uh, Corey Good in Mount Chasta, I had a Hopi partner that exposed uh, the hoax of the Blue Star Kachina. And that the hoax is, according to him, is that the Blue Star, there's no such thing as a Blue Star Kachina coming to the plaza and take its mask off and it will be an alien. That's what somebody wrote up. And this had been going on for a number of years. And so he decided that this has gone too far. So I'm, we're going to talk the truth. And when we did that, he got bombarded on the internet and beat. He was really threatened. And they also threatened me. The Opie tribe and others threatened me and people that I actually helped financially uh, when they were down on their luck. They're the ones that came on TV or this the internet and said that I am a liar, I am evil, and I'm, I'm a disinformation, misinformation. And they also, you know, I understand that the Hopi tribe threatened me not to come on the reservation because if I went on there, that I would be arrested. So these are the, the reasons why it's very, very difficult to do something on the internet. Going back to that Hopi guy that asked me for his help to do this, when I went back to him to go to the second one, we had so many things that we wanted to do. I think at that time we had about 10 things that we were going to do. We only opened with that one, and he, he did not even want to talk to me. So these are the, the, the things that we have to go through in order to be that the messenger spokesperson. And uh, I never I never say that this is my information or here's what I, I always have to say that this is what I was taught. And then when I was taught this, I went to find out. And usually I found out what that was all about. I do not, again, I do not have any special, special ways of doing it. If you are curious enough and want to know, know about it uh, in a scientific manner, you can eventually get to that point. For example, flying saucers have been around since the beginning of our time. And there's a one, so the, I was at a meeting last uh, at the city ranch up in uh, James, uh, the Gilliland, and we actually saw a bunch of them, and also Bigfoot. So if you um, talk about these things, immediate response is that, well, this guy's make, making things up. So it's been, I have been kind of guarded myself to convey these things, but I think that eventually, when I find a, a good way to do this, I will eventually go that route because I'm already there. I mean, you can't what that you can't put the toothpaste back in the the tube. So, uh, but I wish that they would that 
they would go go along and say, "Well, you're wrong here, and here's the right information." That would be that would be an honor for for them, but they don't want to do that. I think it boils down to knowledge is power, and it's always been like that. And they were taught. The other thing too that uh, was taught in Zuni was that they accepted the Catholic Church into the village way back in the 1500s. So a lot of those tribal leaders in the uh, spirituality groups have also been to, they also belong to the Catholic Church. So this is, so that's a conflict of interest when it comes down to that. And the other thing too is that they also are connected with the financial group. A good example is that they used to go to the, the tribal leaders uh, of the very high order system. They used to take them down on a trip down the Grand Canyon for a number of years, at least 20 years that I can uh, decipher from that. Is that every time they go down there, they give them a lot of money. And uh, I don't know what this national, this, uh, what do you call it, National Historic Society. But what, what they did was that they identified, the Zuni identified their places of uh, sacred places, and places of vortices and things like that, mineral deposits. And what, they, what I told them was that we have to, they have the technology that by yours pointing it out, they dropped a little pellet in there and after you guys are gone, all they have to do is fly over, or now they can pick it up with a satellite. And they are, they know exactly where a certain spot is, a sacred site is, and they already picked it up even while you were still standing there. So these are the things that irritate a lot of people because they do not have the educational background about the technology to identify. You know, right now, every cell phone's got a, even the one that we're speaking on right now, it's got tracking devices in it. So, so that, that, so these are the reasons that I believe that a lot of people are very reluctant when I talk about things that, to me, it's not, it's something that is uh, basic in our history and our knowledge, but to them, they want to keep it like that. So, Again, this is where the greed comes in. If you're the only one that knows about things, you'll be the only one contacted. One of the things that is very, is not true is that they think that I get a lot of money for things that I'm doing right now. Well, for example, how much money are you giving me for doing this? Zero, right? See, they, they believe that I have a lot of, when I first went on with ancient aliens, they thought that I was making thousands and thousands of dollars. The only thing that I got on my first first uh, interview was a ham sandwich. And so that that uh, so that's not uh, it's not true that I don't make thousands. And the reason I'm doing this is because not for the ones that are attacking me, it's for the future of the kids that are very hungry for knowledge right now. 
And if you don't carry this tradition on, uh, I'm, I, I'm considered an elder. That's where I got my information when I was when I was a very young boy. If I never got that information, I would have never expanded on it, and I would have just been ignorant with these things, and I would not care about what they're doing to the country, what they're doing to the people, and why it should be why why it should be intercepted, and why we should expose these people as part of this disclosure project. And the other thing too is that even though they saw me on places like Gaia and, and, and other meetings, I'm, I'm an individual. I do not belong to anybody's camp, nor am I going to be uh, coerced into doing anything against my will also. This thing that I'm doing is an educational progress so that both sides can understand the white men and the Indians will know all Indian tribes have, are losing their tradition. A lot of them already lost their language. They don't even have any inkling of what language to say. They don't know their ancestry. They don't know their whatever they sing. They don't understand what it is. So that's that's uh, basically why we're. These are remnants of information that I talk about. Now you ask if we can, is there some way that we can expand this? Well, that's a very hard question because most of the people that knew this stuff already passed on. They never left any recordings, whether it be on tape or uh, disc or, or any words. Uh, we had a big project in Zuni in 1966 where I got most of the prophecies that I talked about. We took recordings from the elders at that time. I went back there maybe about 10 years ago and I found out that they just dumped them, dumped them in their own uh, hospital, vacated old hospital and all the recordings were lost. I would say that we had at least a thousand hours of that information. And so these are the type of things that have already occurred and there's no way we can go back there and get the information of those elders. And they talked about flying saucers. They talked about different types of animals that roam that were not, uh, not like the other animals. They talked about uh, things that occurred in historical times about the, the people that came across there prior to the Spaniards. So we're talking about thousands and thousands of years ago. So this is where the education pro progress that or process should be put into place and try to get as many people to, to be doing this. I understand in Zuni that they're doing a lot of uh, <clears throat> research and and shows, or at least our lectures, but most of the information that I have studied was put together by the white man. It was recorded by, recorded by all the, recorded by all the uh, Smithsonian folks. So it's a, it's a very, very wide open uh, field right now. 
but uh, this is why I was looking for help to start looking at the people that have their backgrounds. They, at least we can all get together and talk from the same uh, same history or comparison to come up with it because I have learned that all the other Indian tribes have the basic basic history. We, have, we know about star people. We know about the the, the uh the people that put our systems together and also placement of where the Indians were. And of course today they took them off of their land, so there's no way to interpret that anymore. I think the only ones that are the remnants are in the southwest and the western part of the United States. So these are very hard uh, questions that need to be answered and there's no easy solution. All right, guys, that wraps up part one with Zuni elder Clifford Mahudi. As you can see, he is very knowledgeable. He has a very deep background in engineering, in history, in the Zuni culture, in all of these amazing things. And when I spent time with him and David in Sedona, listening to them talk together, it was extraordinary. They knew all the, they knew like everybody in ufology. They knew every kind of like alien story there was out there. They knew all about Stephen Greer. They knew all about NASA. They knew all about the conspiracies. Uh, anything that you could shake a stick on that you've heard, if you've gone out that rabbit hole, they knew. And they had, they both had basically the same idea on what the truth was because they were informed about this stuff before the white man or us even came in uh, the the Mi'kmaq and the Zuni both talk about the sky people or the star people they talk about these ancient technologies they're in the petroglyphs so uh, Clifford is just warming up we're going to get into part part two here he's going to talk a little bit more about that but he wanted to give a history about how this is so important because in just one to two generations they have almost lost this 20,000 year lineage of oral teachings through the media through tv and through alcohol and what people perceive the native american to be and so they want to both clifford and david want to kind of cut um, this misconception or misperception of what the native american is and start sharing this powerful and old wisdom and um you know some of the zuni tribe and some of uh the Mi'kmaq and the native americans they didn't really want clifford to share because they thought it was sacred knowledge uh, but clifford because he's the last one really feels like you know that it needs to get out there and the same with david david's elder said hey for the first we need you to share this with the non-natives for the first time ever we need you to share this for the non-natives. And it's very hard and is very hard for David Lombert to do because this is their sacred knowledge. They've been, they've been, this is 20,000 years old. It's truly special stuff. So I also posted the uh, talk that they did in Sedona. So if you got, if this resonates with you guys and you want to support David Lombert and Clifford, uh, they definitely want to get out there and talk to the world. If you have a group, we have some things coming up. Uh, David definitely needs support on the financial thing. So if you know any angel investors, we basically need just, oh, we just need what we need to um, get the tools we need to do the research, to uh, do a little bit of testing and the equipment, uh, not 
too much, but you know, you can look up the Biodome in North Carolina. That's already built. He's already put balloons into space. We want to do more. He's invented the uh, strongest three-pole magnet. And all of this is technology from the ancient copper scrolls. And he has done all this by basically dumpster diving for parts, living in just above poverty. He was homeless for, uh, you know, last winter in Maine. So it's, it's crazy, man. It's ridiculous. And, um, and I've and I vetted his science with uh, Robert Grant, who's the smartest, or his math with the smartest guy I know, Robert Grant, who made all those mathematical breakthroughs. So there's definitely something here. And anybody who wants to support, we 100% need their support very badly. Any angel investors, administrative assistants, uh, web people, engineers, anybody who's curious wants to dive deeper, I'm happy to send you more information. And everybody who actually takes a look at it basically is like, holy crap! Like, how are these guys not being helped? And I always say, I don't. Don't freaking know i'm trying um so i hope this is the beginning of something beautiful and, uh, and amazing and i really hope that this message of these two elders uh they start to share more it starts to spread because we definitely need that grounded wisdom of community and these technologies that can actually help us um in in amazing ways and this these are ancient technologies and a really beautiful and special thing so any support would be amazing um, just hit me up at matt at zenathlete.com. And if you want us to come speak, if you're looking to get some coaching from me, if you want to go through any of those experiences, like the heart journey hypnosis to find your life's purpose, you want to do one-on-one coaching, you want something for your group or your organization, you're an entrepreneur and you want to learn how to use peak performance and flow state um, as you do your business is very powerful stuff, especially in teams. So you can hit me up for that as well. Uh, go to mattbelair.com to get the uh, email list and forward slash lucid dreaming to get a lucid dreaming thing um support on patreon and shares are super great but nothing trumps three acts of kindness if you like the show and you want to support please do me a favor the only thing i ask is if you listen to one episode i one act of kindness for every episode you listen to is my humble request even even better than that would be three acts of kindness don't tell anybody do that for a week and see how you feel it will change you. It, it is really the magic formula of to what turns on your DNA, to what activates higher consciousness. That is the formula. You can read all the books you want, do all those things. They're all well and dandy. But the godfather, the godmother, the most important thing you could do, meditate all day, every day, eat vegan, do all that kind of stuff. But the three acts of kindness a day is the absolute godfather for activating your DNA, your consciousness, and to ascending um, in the way that we kind of perceive it to be. So I'll leave it at that. So much love and gratitude for you. I hope that you're having an amazing day. Sending out all of my love, all of my compassion, my support, my encouragement, uh, my energy to you to support you and what you're going through in your life. Hoping that you're having an enjoyable life experience and that you're supported and loved. Um, And so before we close it out, I'll just invite you to come to a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop whatever you're doing and take in a deep breath in through your nose. Holding that breath and just setting the intention to come to peace and coherence. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares, with all the self-criticisms and all the tasks of the day. Taking in one more deep breath in through your nose. Holding that breath and just think about one thing that you're really grateful for. It could be a friend, a family member, having a job, having a vehicle, uh, having roof over your head, having food. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. Take in one more deep breath in through your nose, holding that breath and just 
filling yourself up with love and gratitude as much as you can now. And I want you to send that love and gratitude to all your friends, all your family, all your coworkers, to everybody on the planet. And I'm sending you all of my energy, my love and my gratitude so that you may be supported, fulfilled and coherent and loved and taken care of and encouraged and know that you are an amazing human just as you are, that you have the power to create whatever you wish here and just feel that energy and just send it out to everybody you know. And there you go. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for coming along another episode. I love and I appreciate you. Have an incredible day, and I will see you in part two with Zuni elder Clifford Mahoudi.